Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for these commandments that you've given. The ten guiding principles of human life. And we understand in the midst of the thou shalt nots, so many things that we shall do. All of the positive things that are a part of your character that are also reflected in these commandments. I pray, Lord, that week by week that we would learn and treasure the revelation that you have given to us from heaven to earth and that we'd be changed by them and be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we're going through the Ten Commandments, it would be really great if we'd memorize them. It's not too hard. There's only ten of them. Some of you remember doing that as children. It'd be great if you teach your children the Ten Commandments. In fact, I wonder if you know them right now, at least what we've gone through so far. Let's go through them. Ready? No looking down. No, no. This isn't an open book test. The first commandment, I am the Lord your God, you shall have... No other gods before me. The second one? You shall not make for yourself any graven image, carved image. The third one? (laughs) Right, you're to keep the Lord's name holy. The next one? Remember the Sabbath. You don't take the Lord's name in vain, then you keep a day holy, the Sabbath day. The next one? Honor your father and your mother That's good. It trailed off a little bit, but you got the gist of it. This is the simplest one so far. It's the shortest one. It's found in verse 13. You shall not murder. Maybe in reading this commandment, you're thinking, okay, the other commandments, they had something to do with me. There was at least relevance for my own personal life. Honor your father and your mother. Skip, I got that. Didn't like when you talked about doing that with parents-in-law. But nonetheless, I admit that those are things that are relevant to my own personal life. Honoring God above all else, certainly. But Skip, here is a commandment that I can just tune out because it absolutely has no relevance to my life whatsoever. Because after all, you would say, you never plotted the murder of another person. And even when... Somebody pulled out in front of you on the freeway and you had a moment of road rage and you even thought, I'm going to follow them through the entire state of New Mexico and make their day miserable. (laughs) Still, you didn't plan on how to murder them. But I'd venture to say that virtually every person, self-included in this room, has gotten away with murder if we apply the meaning of the Lord Jesus Christ and His words in the New Testament to this commandment. And we'll look at that this morning before we close. Well, murder has always been a problem with mankind from the very beginning. The first two people, Adam and Eve, had two kids. And the first crime ever committed by those two kids was homicide. In Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says that Cain and his brother Abel were out in the field. They were having a conversation. And Cain rose up and slew his brother Abel. And so it has been the history of mankind. Whether we had rocks in our hands or clubs or axes or swords or in more modern times guns and bombs, people 
kill people. That's the sad legacy of the human race. In fact, did you know that out of the 11 so-called developed countries, murder, homicide is highest in our country, the United States of America? I'm told that you have one chance in 153 that you will be murdered. One chance in 153 as an American that you will be murdered. They tell us that intentional killing, i.e. homicide, is the fourth leading cause of death in our country. First is heart disease. Second is cancer. Third is accidents. And the fourth is intentional killing, homicide, murder. This year alone, over 25,000 people will be murdered. Those are the ones that will be registered. 25,000. That's 70 per day. That's one murder every 24 minutes in our country. Staggering. Astonishing. I read an interesting article in the Reuters news agency a couple weeks ago that police in Vienna, Austria, reported a woman who lived with a mummified corpse of her aunt for over a year. Okay, I know that's really spooky. And here's the story. The police knocked on the door after reports from the neighbors who tried to get in to see this 96-year-old woman. And her niece, 51 years old, said, well, she's sleeping. She doesn't want to be disturbed. When the police finally got in, they discovered that under this old lady's covers on her bed was the corpse that had been there for a year. And it seemed that the niece had been taking the pension money that this elderly aunt was getting, and she was using her ATM card. The autopsy was done to see if there was foul play involved. But what would possess a person to live with a mummified corpse of an old person for over a year? Well, here's another question. What would you be willing to do for, say, $10 million or $2 million or $4 million? That was a question that a couple of New York researchers asked 3,500 people across the United States what they would be willing to do for enough money. So hypothetical cases were given. They discovered right around the $2 million mark, people were willing to do a lot. 25% of those who were interviewed said that they would be willing to completely abandon their families for $2 million. And these two researchers said, and I quote, 7% of us say they would murder someone for enough money. That's about one in every 14 people. Whether they could actually pull the trigger is another question. But 36 million of us would be willing to consider the offer. Well, the commandment is plain. Verse 13, you shall not murder. And I'm glad that our translation corrects the old King James. If you have an old King James, I apologize. Great translation. But it simply says, thou shalt not kill. Modern translations correct the language. The best And only translation can be murder. And here's why. There are seven Hebrew words that could be translated to kill. The one word that is translated murder is the word that is used here, retzach, 
In fact, it's only two words, this commandment in the original Hebrew. Lo retzach. No murder. It speaks of the intentional killing of another human being for personal reasons. Now that's the definition. The intentional killing of another person or another human being for personal reasons. You see, you shall not kill, you shall not murder doesn't mean that you can't kill animals for sacrificial purposes in the Old Testament. God gave them that command. It doesn't mean that there can't be capital punishment. God gave that command in the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that the people of Israel couldn't go to war. They were given that permission in the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that you can't protect your family or your house if somebody's trying to break in. That was also specified under the Torah. This specifically deals with intentionally killing someone else for personal reasons. So we want to look at that in depth this morning. First of all, I want you to notice with me the premise of this command. Now, I know it's, it's stated in the negative, you shall not. But it's put in that way. It also affirms the positive. The negative, you shall not, implies the positive. And here it is, life is sacred. And because life is sacred, you shall not murder. It's important to think about that premise. You see, death must always be viewed through the lens of life. Whatever value we place on life will determine whatever we believe about death. As an example, if I believe that life is a gift of God, that God created me, then for me to murder someone is to divide the very purposes of God and to defy God himself. If, on the other hand, I say, well, life is not by special creation. I'm just a cosmic accident. I'm just a biological creature like any other creature. Then killing someone or ending life is simply a biological action. When Napoleon Bonaparte was ruler of his country... He had a general named Prince Clement. Prince Clement advised Napoleon Bonaparte that the plan Napoleon had devised to wage war could cost the lives of 100,000 people, innocent people, many of them. Napoleon's reaction, ha, he said, what are the lives of 100,000 people to me? In other words, the way he viewed the lives of other people determined his willingness to put that many people to death. You say, oh, that's so archaic. However, the current belief today in our educational system pervasively is that man, women, we're just advanced protoplasm. Doesn't that make you feel good about yourself? You're just a blob of advanced protoplasm. And this advanced protoplasm meets that advanced protoplasm. And they get together and have little advanced protoplasms. So all you are, they would have you believe, is just a complex animal. An advanced animal. Not made by God. No special value. Just a biological mechanism. Listen to this quote from the American Journal of Pediatrics by Dr. Peter Singer. Quote, 
We can no longer base our ethics on the idea that human beings are a special form of creation, made in the image of God, singled out from all other animals, and alone possessing an immortal soul. So, follow my thinking. If every year in our schools and from our journals we are telling people, you're just an animal, you're just an animal, why should we be so surprised if our kids start acting like animals? Why should we go, I can't believe the crime rate. Wait a minute. You've been feeding them this line that they're animals. And so now they're acting savage-like, without morals, without underpinnings that God gives because we're His creation. And then you have a media that is pouring millions and billions of dollars into glorifying violence. And children's programming that depicts 25 violent acts per hour is the average. But, apart from that, aside from that cultural view, is the biblical truth. We're not just an animal. We're not just organic. We have been made by God, and life is a gift from the Creator which is the whole basis for the sanctity of life, based on Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where we read, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. And it's that text and others like it that even our founding fathers thought should be woven into the fabric of the language of this nation like the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, anybody can figure this out, that all men were evolved equal. No, it doesn't say that. Created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Moreover, not just is life a gift from God, But we are made in the image of God. The image of God. That means you and I possess certain characteristics that our dog, our cat, our pet snail, or whatever we have at home don't possess. Unlike those creatures, we, men and women, are made in the image of God. What does that mean? That means we're capable of conceptual thought. We can come up with our own ideas. We're capable of imagination. We're capable of creativity, being artistic. My dog never painted a picture. be cool if he did. I think I'd make a lot of money if he did. But I never saw him in the corner doing this. <laughs> Thinking, contemplating, imagining, creating. Also, man can produce complexity, can go from simple to complex, connect the dots in our reasoning. Not only that, but mankind is a trinity or a triunity, body, soul, and spirit, the tripartite nature that reflects the very Godhead himself. And also, mankind, unlike my dog, he's a good dog, but he he doesn't have what I have. I have an eternal dimension. I enter life asking questions like, why am I here? My dog never said, why am I here? You know, just pet him, feed him, he's fine. Take him for a walk every now and then. 
But I have an eternal dimension and so do you. We have the capability to long for God, to have a relationship with God, because we were, unlike our pets, made for eternity. So, the very foundation, the premise of this command is that life is sacred. But there's a problem. And the problem is not with the command. The problem is with those to whom the command is given. The problem with the thou shalt not kill is in the thou, the you, the me. Years after this was given to the children of Israel, Paul the Apostle would write in the book of Romans, looking at the law that God gave, all of the commandments, all of the instructions, Paul will say this, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal and sold under sin. There's no problem with the law because it reflects the heart of the lawgiver. That's the bar. The problem is with the people who receive the law, Paul would say. Law is spiritual. I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, even God understood that there would be this problem when he gave the Ten Commandments, in fact, the whole law. And the children of Israel, well, you remember the story on Mount Sinai, there was thundering and lightning, big fire show. And the children of Israel didn't want to go any closer. They said, Moses, you go and listen to whatever God tells you. Come back and tell us what to do and we'll do it. Yeah, right. Whatever God tells you to tell us, we'll do it. Moses goes up to the mountain. God says, you know, Mo, I heard the words the children of Israel told you. And what they said was good. But listen to what God said. But oh, that they had such a heart to fear me and to always keep my commandments that it would be well with them and their children forever. I love what they said. I only wish they had the capability, the heart, to do everything that I've told them to do. So God understood there's nothing wrong with the commandment. But there is something wrong with the way man is now wired after the fall with Adam and Eve. That rather than innocence, there's depravity. Famous text of scripture, many of you know it well, out of Jeremiah 17. It describes the human heart. It says the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Did you get that? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. How many of you have ever heard of a radio show, it's a long time ago, before television, from the 1930s called The Shadow? Have you ever heard of that? The Shadow. Okay, a few of you, many of you have actually heard of that. The Shadow was this unknown sleuth on the radio who solved crimes and went against criminals. And he was simply called The Shadow. And and the show began each week on the radio like this. There was music. And then, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. Here's why I'm bringing that up. Not just to be silly, though I am. But even a 1930s radio show admitted that evil lurks in the hearts of men. And the shadow knows. 
course, the Bible knew long before there was a shadow. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Spirit knows, and He's revealed that in His Word. So every time we see any act of evil, any crime, any act of violence, we can simply say it's exactly what the Bible said would happen. We're not born innocent. We're born by Adam's nature, depraved and in need of a Savior. So the problem is that man is defiled, which actually helps. It helps answer a question a lot of people have. And here's the basic question. Why is it that we're not any better after all this time? Thousands of years, we've improved culturally. We have more creature comforts. We've made so many advancements. Why is it that we haven't fixed this? Why is it that mankind is still angry and violent and murderous and at war? What's the problem? What's the real reason for that? Now, some will say, it's the liberal media. They are the problem with everything. Or it's the Democrats. Or the Republicans. Or the United Nations. No, no, no. You and I have to look no further than the mirror. The problem is in every single one of us. It's the human heart. James tells us in one verse what the problem is. I'm reading now out of James chapter 4, verse 1. You could turn to it, but I'm already there. (laughs) What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but cannot have what you want. Get what he's saying. Why do people fight? Why are people at war? What is the problem? James says it's right here. The desires within the human heart. So yes, mankind is violent. Yes, mankind is murderous. And the problem isn't because guns exist or the access to guns. Take away every gun in the world. Put them all, destroy them all. We'll pick up stones or clubs or something else. That is where the problem lies. There's not too many times I would ever agree with Sigmund Freud, but here's one instance in which I do. He said very interestingly, quote, The very emphasis of this commandment, thou shalt not kill, makes it certain that we have descended from an endlessly long chain of generations of murderers whose love of murder was in their blood and perhaps is also in ours. Close quote. I'm amazed that Sigmund Freud had right theology concerning this commandment. I didn't know he had any theology. Let me give you an example how our view of life can determine how we view death. I'll never forget being in India for the first time, and I spoke to a Christian leader who told me what had happened in India the week I was there. There was a bus driver. Now picture the dilemma. He's driving down the street, true story, and... First of all, in India, if there are any traffic laws, nobody knows them. This bus driver is going down the street, and there's a cow crossing the street. A lot of animals out on the streets, cows, camels. And a man crossing the street. And by the time the bus driver has the presence of mind to make a decision, and he had to make one, he's going to have to veer one direction or the other, running into the man or into the cow. You have to go one direction or the other. What should he choose? He ran right into the man, killing him instantly. Because in Hindu 
philosophy and theology, a cow is a higher level of life than a human being. A person's view of life determines how they view death. You say, well, that's so backwards and so wrong. You're right. Isn't it odd how in our country human life is being devalued and animals get more rights than anybody else, anything else? Now, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. We're going to end here. Matthew chapter 5. We've looked at the premise of this commandment, which is life is sacred. We've looked at the problem with this commandment, and that is that man is sinful or defiled. Now let's look at the passion that is against or opposed to this commandment. Now, you're going to notice in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus brings some clarity to this very commandment we're reading. Verse 21, Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. I know, some of you are going, I'm glad. I never said that. (laughs) But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Wow, Jesus certainly widens the definition of murder, doesn't he? And the consequences of murder here. He is saying it's more than a civil issue. I'm telling you it's a spiritual issue. You think it's simply an action that begins in the hands. I'm telling you it's an attitude that begins in the heart. What happens in the heart will be seen in the hands. What you believe about another person may be shown by what you do, but it all begins, whether acted on or not, in the heart. i got to think that when Jesus said this, that crowd was blown away. I mean, if up to that point they're going, oh, right, we get to hear Jesus. Woo-hoo! Now they suddenly realize he just accused all of us of being murderers. Because it says if you're angry with your brother without a cause... And it's true. To slander somebody made in God's image is to slander God. Hear about the eight-year-old boy. Mom picked him up from school in the afternoon, driving him home. The little boy on the way home said, Hey, Mom, where's all the idiots? She said, I beg your pardon? What do you mean, all the idiots? He goes, Yeah, on the way to school today, Dad saw eight of them. Eight times in one day, that little eight-year-old boy got a lesson from his father of how he views other people, how he views life, what he thinks and is willing to say about other people who are on the road. Now, Jesus speaks about anger. He says, verse 22, I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Indulge me for just a moment. I want to give you just a little language lesson. The Greek language, the typical word for anger would be the word thumos. It's a very common word, thumos. We get the term thermal from it. 
Uh, Think of a volcano where it heats up and then erupts. That's a typical Greek word, thumos. It means to have a flare-up, a rage, an emotional outburst. But that is not the word that is used here. It is not thumos. It is not an eruption or a rage. It is the word orgizo. And this is what the word means. A brooding, seething, nurtured anger. A brooding, seething, nurtured anger. We would translate that a grudge against someone. It's the attitude, and I know you've seen it before. It's the attitude that says, okay, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget. Oh, please, spare me the words then. That's a grudge. Do we commit murder? By this definition, we do. Anybody who harbors a grudge says spiteful, gossiping things to tear down another person deep in the heart is because murder exists. Now think about it. Rarely, if ever, would we think about combining somebody who's angry at another person like this, as described, and murder and say, it's the same thing. Jesus says, it is. One begins the other. The attitude begins the action. We'd say, well, I can't believe it. I'm not a murderer. But ever in your life, have you ever even thought, I hate that person? Or I wish they were dead. Maybe you've even said that. Now, you didn't go out and kill them. Maybe you were afraid of consequences or you lacked the opportunity. But it doesn't let you off the hook. We're still guilty. It's interesting, too, how... hmm, We justify our grudges. We justify our hatred. And I've discovered something about murderers. They do that too. Even the worst murderers have reasons for why they did it. Adolf Hitler had what he thought were rational reasons why he would kill six million Jewish people. And he convinced a whole slew of people with those reasons. The people who dispatched the crusaders toward Jerusalem to also commit that kind of genocide had their rationale. Every jihadist today has a reason why they would strap dynamite on and blow up themselves and innocent children and women. And it's this kind of self-deceit that Jesus is coming against, anger in the heart. Let's finish up today. Let's, Let's come to a conclusion by... Finishing also with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just go on in verse 23. Here now is the remedy. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. I'm going to call this active forgiveness. That's the remedy, active forgiveness. Jesus said, and if you're angry without a cause, you're guilty. Therefore, and then he tells us, what do you do about it? Active forgiveness as opposed to passive forgiveness. 
passive forgiveness, somebody hurt you or you hurt them, whatever, whatever. It, it, almost like you just don't want to deal with it. You got to deal with it. Three ways, three steps to active forgiveness. Number one, admit it. Admit it. If you don't admit there's a problem, you'll never fix it. So here, here's, the, here's the idea. There's a guy, he's at the altar in Jerusalem. His hands are raised. He's singing, I love you, Lord. He's bringing his lamb to be sacrificed. And suddenly he remembers. A thought comes to his mind. There's somebody out there really mad at me, angry with me. I've stumbled him and I know about it. So you have to, as you remember it, that's the first step, admit it. You know, what's funny. How many people, even in counseling, don't admit there's a problem? Here's a typical scenario. Man and woman come to the counseling office. Here's man's posture. Well, I'm glad you guys came in. What is the problem? I don't have a problem, but she does. Wait a minute. Last time I checked, the two shall become one flesh. I.e., if she has a problem, you have a problem. You both have a problem. Admit it. When you admit it, then you can fix it. So that's step number one. Admit it. Step number two, correct it. Notice Jesus says, go your way. (laughs) Interesting. Somebody's coming to worship and God says, go away. Go away. I'm here to worship. Yeah, but there's a problem you have with another person. Oh, Lord, you see my heart. Forgive me. Uh Uh-uh. Go away. First be reconciled, then come and offer your gift. You remember this in school. Your math teacher taught you the shortest distance between two points is a... It's not true. It's not true. It's true in math. It's not true in theology. Sometimes the shortest distance between you and God is another person. You can't just say, I don't want to deal with that other person. Oh, but Lord, you know my heart. Oh, but Lord, I love you. God says, go away. Get it right. You want to come closer to me, then you come to me through that reconciliation with another person. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes the best things to enhance a worship service isn't better music or better preaching, though we could have maybe better preaching. However, you want to enhance worship? Get better relationships. Get better relationships. When you have better relationships with other people and you're free, as Paul said, from the blood of all men, your worship is sweet. You've done all that you can do to bring reconciliation. There's no heavier weight that you can carry around than a pack of grudges. Story about Leonardo da Vinci. He was painting his most famous work, The Last Supper. And he was having an argument with somebody in town. It was a flare-up. I mean, he lost his temper and words were exchanged. He was angry. And he went back to painting the Last Supper. Well, he happened to be painting the most delicate part of the whole picture, which was the face of Jesus Christ. And he discovered he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He'd pick up a brush and he'd start the fine lines. He wanted it to be perfect. And he thought, I don't have the freedom to paint the Lord Jesus' face. Put down his brushes, went and found the person, talked it out, reconciled. (sighs) Then he felt, I've corrected it. I can do the Lord's work. Admit it. Correct it. Here's the third step to active forgiveness. Expedite it. 
Notice what it says. You're to go and do it quickly, quickly or urgently. Don't allow bitterness or anger to develop and seethe and boil up and give you more reasons why you should nurture that. Hold on to it. What did Paul say in Ephesians 4? Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, were his words. Don't let a day go by, Paul would say, loosely translated, where you're going to let that anger build up yet again. Or as Phyllis Diller would spin it, never go to bed mad, stay up and fight. (laughs) You know, there's some wisdom in that. Better to be honest and confront the problem and deal with it and come to an understanding than go to bed and keep it to yourself undealt with. Admit it, correct it, expedite it. So we have learned today that murder is a sin because we're created by God and we're created in the image of God. Thus, to murder is to defy God's purpose. We've learned that there's no problem with the commandment or the standard, but there is a problem with mankind who has frequently, incessantly throughout history as a legacy broken that. We've also learned that it's more than just an act. That it's an attitude. And the attitude always precedes the act. And finally, we have learned that any time we, by words or anger, tear down or destroy another person, it's serious. And we must deal with it. In fact, no one gets away with murder. Even if you've never committed it, but you've hated that person, you'll never get away with it. Because it'll destroy you. You're the one that'll get hurt the worst as it just eats away at your spiritual life. There was a very creative teacher at a college, Christian college. In front of the classroom, the teacher put up a big target. And the teacher said to each student, today I want you to draw a picture of somebody you don't like, you're angry at, you're mad at them. Draw their picture. And there was a whole bunch of darts on a table at the front of the classroom. They were to draw pictures, and one girl drew a picture of another girl that stole her boyfriend. One young student drew a picture of his younger brother. Some put great detail into their drawings. Teacher had them all stand up. They put the pictures on top of the bullseye and said, now throw darts at those people you're angry at. Go ahead, get mad at them. Well, the students thought this was terrific. I mean, they were launching those darts, some violently, ripping to shreds the target. Laughing as they went, ha, 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 boom, ha, 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 boom. They were all done. They sat down. The teacher took the darts out took the drawings off, took the target off, and underneath the target was a huge picture of the face of Jesus Christ. And the students sat down and the classroom fell into a hush as they looked at the mangled face of Jesus that they had created. And the teacher, the last thing he did at that class was write up on the chalkboard the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, inasmuch as you have done it to one of these, the least of my brethren, you did it to me. So, murder is a sin. We know that. The anger, 
that perpetuates that murder is sinful, hurts the body of Christ, hurts the cause of Christ, and will eat us alive. And we haven't even touched on capital punishment, military involvement, abortion, euthanasia, and suicide, all of the things that are usually raised by this commandment, so we'll have to wait another week. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we approach you, the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all life, who gave life to us as a gift, and also gave to us the Lord Jesus Christ and his slain and broken body to die for the sins that we have committed. And we have all committed, in some form or fashion, murder. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask for clean hands and a pure heart. And we receive the forgiveness that comes whenever we confess. But Lord, part of that confession must necessitate going toward those that we know we have personally offended and have ought against us. You're not holding us responsible for somebody else that we need to tell them to do that to, but our own selves. It doesn't mean every person that we don't like or that we've been mad at. That's never the issue. But those that we know that we have offended and they have ought against us. You told us if we know that, if we remember that, we leave our gift and we go. And then we return. And we can worship with intimacy and with freedom. Lord, I pray that these things will become second nature to us. That we can, as Paul said, be free from the blood of all men. That love will mark us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.